You know, in um, prisoner of war camps in times gone by, one of the things that uh, the soldiers would have got the prisoners to do is that they would get them to dig out a massive, great big hole at one side of the camp. And then they get them to carry the dirt all across the camp to the other side of the camp and put it down. And they would do that for days or weeks or even months. And then when they'd finished, they'd say to them, now take that dirt and take it back again and put it in the hole. And apparently, that act in and of itself, it would have been fine if it was just moving the dirt for a purpose. But because there was no purpose in it, it was that that would drive prisoners almost insane. Just the senselessness and pointlessness of moving dirt from one side of the camp to the next. This little camel says to the mommy camel, why have I such big flat feet? Well, in the desert, you'll need them because the sand is soft and it will help keep you stable, said his mom. Then why such big eyelashes? Well, because in the desert, there's lots of wind and it will stop the sand getting in your eyes. The camel thought, then, then why such a big hump on my back? Mom says, well, in the desert, you'll be without water for a long time and, and, and the hump stores water. Mommy, I know that I have big feet, long eyelashes and a hump, so why am I in Dudley Zoo? Because actually, when you're created for purpose, you want to fulfill that purpose, don't you? Because if you don't fulfill that purpose, you know that something is missing. It's like moving piles of dirt around in your life for no good reason. And in fact, in the Bible, in the first half of the Bible that we call the Old Testament, there's a book in there called Ecclesiastes. And the writer was obsessed with finding out what was the purpose for his life. And so he tried lots of things. He tried money and power and pleasure and fame. And at the end, he cries out, and this is the most, some of the most depressing words in the Bible. He cries out, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. It's like chasing the wind. In other words, it's like moving dirt from one side of a camp to the next. It's like having the feet and having the eyelashes and having the hum, but being stuck in Dudley Zoo. It's not why I was created. And I think whether you're a Christian this morning or not, and I'm not assuming that you all are, we're really glad that you're here with us if you're not. But I think whether you are a Christian or not, whether you say you have faith or not, there is a sense inside each and every one of us, deep down, that we know we are born for purpose. And if we could find the purpose, we would be fulfilled. But if we can't, it's like we're moving dirt from one side of the camp to the next. And often, I think, when we try and discover what that purpose is, we're drawn into the trap of what I call when and if. You know, when this happens, then I'll be fulfilled. If this happens, then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll feel that I've got my purpose. So if you're a kid at school, it's like when I get to big school or when I get to university or when I leave school. And then it goes on and says, when I get a job, then things are going to be great. And if you've been in a job a long time, it's when I get out of a job and retire. You know, it's always something else in the future. Or when I meet that guy or that girl, or when we get married, or when we have kids, or when the kids leave home. Come on. And, and we're living sometimes for those moments of when and if, and they're always out there in the future. And in the first week of our series, we looked at the healthy you, and we looked at the question, what if being healthy is more than diet or exercise? And in and, and week two, we looked at the happy you and we looked at this question, what if happiness is not a goal, but an outcome of living a certain kind of life? What if happiness is not an outcome to pursue, but is the goal of living a certain kind of life? Here's the question we want to grapple with today. What if the secret to you being fulfilled is not about you? What if the secret to you and I being the fulfilled person that we want to be is actually not about you? 
Because as long as you are all about you, you will never be fulfilled or even happy. Even the best version of you will not fulfill you. If it's all about you, you will never be the fulfilled you. You see, selfishness is natural, but it's not how we were designed to be. You do not have to teach kids how to be selfish, do you? I mean, what's the first word that often kids, and I said at the first service, the four-letter word that the kids learn, and some parents look horrified at me, and I said, no, not that word. But there's another one that they learn, and nobody teaches them, and it's the word mine, isn't it? It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Nobody teaches them that because we are born selfish, but it's not how we were designed to be. We are only that way because of brokenness. And brokenness that comes in the world, and the Bible calls this sin, the stuff that's come into the world that's broken, dislocated our relationship with God and our relationship with one another and our relationship with the world. And because of that, naturally, we're selfish. But it's not how we're designed to be. You see, sin separates us into our own self-centered world, and there's a whisper inside each and every one of us that grows stronger, and it says this, spend all your time, all your energy, all your money on you. And then you will be fulfilled. And I have to tell you this morning, it's a lie. It's a lie. If we spend everything on us, we will never be fulfilled, never be content, never be satisfied, never be filled up. Because here's today's big idea. Pouring out your life is what really fills you up. What I love about the Christian faith, many, many things, obviously Jesus, obviously, but what I love about the Christian faith is that it totally flips upside down so many different views in our world and it flips them upside down and gets them the right way up. We think that being filled up is all about me, but actually we will never be filled up unless we pour out our lives. Pouring out your life is what really fills you up. And I want to show you that this morning from two sources. Firstly, the research proves it. The research proves that in this church, we are not afraid of truth because we believe that all truth is God's truth no matter where it is. So we're not afraid to look in science or psychology or sociology or sport or entertainment. And where we see truth, we think that's God's truth because all truth is God's truth. And the Bible will just back up what somebody else has discovered only a long time before they discovered it. So the research proves that University of Chicago had a, did a study and they said that the three most fulfilling careers or jobs are these, caring for others, teaching others, protecting others. What's the common link? Others, isn't it? Where the job is actually about others, it's the most fulfilling. Now, if you're not in a job like that, you can still be fulfilled at work. I'm not saying that. But these are some of the most fulfilling jobs because they're all focused on others. In the UK, there were 40 different studies that all found a connection between happiness or fulfillment and selflessness. And what was amazing, some of their findings were this. If you volunteer consistently, like on a consistent basis, not necessarily saying every week, but on a consistent basis, not just one-off, you are more likely to experience the following. Listen to this. Less depression, less heart disease, less stress, less chance of drug abuse. What's more, this is amazing, even if you serve consistently with a bad attitude, your results will be better than if you don't serve at all. That's amazing, isn't it? I am not saying to any of you, please serve with a bad attitude, all right? But if you were to serve with a bad attitude, your results in terms of your life and your outcomes, your sense of well-being and health will be better than if you don't serve at all. People who serve consistently have a greater self-esteem, often live longer, have a better quality of life. How can this be? How can me pouring out my life for others lead me to being more filled up? Because you were designed by the giver of life to give your life away. 
Uh, many years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Atlanta in Georgia and, uh, to go to, uh, and I was there on, on, on ministry and work and conference and stuff. And, and I had a day out and, and we went to the Martin Luther King Center and got to go to his house and the museum and everything. And I love the whole life and story of Martin Luther King. And one of the great things that he said amongst many, many things he said is this, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. And what I love about that is, is you see serving and greatness Again, it's flipped upside down. We think that greatness is about climbing up, but actually the Bible says that actually greatness is about coming down. And everyone can be great because everyone can serve. Greatness is a downward descent, and that is totally countercultural. So that's what the research says. The research says that pouring out your life is what really fills you up. What about the Bible? What does the Bible say? Well, today, I want to ask us, can we go deep today? Is that okay? Can we go a little bit deeper than we might normally do on a Sunday morning? And if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Let me just describe this for you and give you some background. Now, Philippians is one of those books, we often call it a letter, because it was written as a letter to either a church or a group of churches in a region. So this was written to people around Philippi, okay, Uh, part of Greece at the time. And, um, And the interesting thing, this was written by a guy called Paul. And Paul wasn't always a Christian writer. In fact, Paul was a Christian hater. He hated Christian people. Okay, he was brought up as a Jew. He was very, very academic. People, historians reckon that he is one of the biggest intellects ever that's walked on the planet. This is a bright guy, a really great intellect, great academic, very religious person. But he really hated this new thing uh, that came around Jesus, Christians, and he went out of his way to actually persecute and to and to kill Christians. But then on one day, when he's when he's going to a city on his way to kill other Christians, he meets Jesus. He meets the resurrected Christ and he's literally thrown off his horse and his life turned around 180 degrees. So he goes from being a Christian hater to a Christian writer, a Christian leader, and ultimately a martyr. Lays down his life for the God that he was trying to persecute. So that's, that's Paul. And as part of his uh, kind of journeys and travels, he ended up in prison on numerous occasions. And in one of those occasions, he writes this letter about greatness and about pouring out your life. And he says this where he's describing Jesus in chapter two, verse five. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think this is one of the high water chapters in the whole of the Bible. You've got Romans 8, you've got 1 Corinthians 13. Philippians 2 is a phenomenal chapter. I'd really encourage you to read it this week, you know, read it. And it's interesting because many years ago, just thoughts just come to my head, it hadn't come at the first service. Uh, years ago, I went to this um, meeting with a local authority, with the chief exec, etc., uh, for some of the work we were doing. And, and he got up in front of this meeting, not criticizing him at all by this, but he just, I've just come across this really, really amazing new leadership idea. It's called servant leadership. And I really wanted to scream and I said, it's not a new idea. It really isn't. Because this is what servant leadership's about. That when you know who you are and you know that place of power and influence and all of that, you choose what you do with it. And it's not about you. It's about pouring out your life for others. 
And what we've got here when we look at the words is that the Paul says that, that Christ Jesus, you should have the same mindset or the other word for that is attitude as Jesus. So if we have the same attitude or mindset of Jesus, did he act like a servant? Did he do servant things or does it run deeper than that? Well, let's look. You see, in verse 6, the word says that, that Jesus had the same mindset of Jesus who being in very nature God. And that word being literally, it's not a common word. It means essence that cannot be changed. So in his nature, in his being, he, he, the essence of him could not be changed. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 6 and 7, he uses the word either form or nature, depending on your translation. And let me try and explain that to you. There are two Greek words here for this. We don't normally do the whole Greek word thing, but I, I feel I should do it this morning. And, and one of the words is morphe, which, which means a form that never changes. If I can pick Lee, for example, because he's a friend uh, and worship leader here. Um, if I was to say that he's a human being, It'd be a stretch, but if I was to say it'd be a human being, okay, I would use the Greek word morphe because that's the form that never changes. But if I was to speak about a baby or a child, even though they're a human being, I'd use the other Greek word schema because they change because the baby grows up. If I was to talk about a flower, I would use the word forme, uh, uh, morphe because it's a form that never changes. But if I was to talk about a poppy or a daisy or a rose, I'd use the other word because it changes. Does it make sense? And what Paul uses here to describe the very nature of Jesus as a servant is the first word morphe. In other words, Jesus is not Clark Kent. Jesus doesn't go into the telephone box and emerge as a servant. Jesus in his very nature was a servant. I think that's amazing. He didn't get up one day and said, today I will be a servant. I will do seven things. I will think about it. Like you and I have to do in his very nature that's what he is. And if that's who Jesus is, that's who God is. This, is. this is what blows many people's minds, you know, in other religions as well, that you say that God, who created the heavens and the world, is what you said, became a servant and poured his life out for us. That is almost like an abomination for them, but that is the truth of who Jesus really is. And it goes on to say later in the chapter that Paul says that he poured himself out, and he uses a phrase, like a drink offering. That's a reference to an ancient practice in different religions called a libation offering where wine was poured out to appease the gods. But Paul is saying, hey, Jesus doesn't do that to appease the gods. He just does it because that's who he is. He pours out his life for others because pouring out your life is what really fills you up. So if our attitude, our mindset should be like Jesus, what does it mean to live like this? What does it mean for you and I to live the fulfilled you, if pouring out our life for others is the only way we will be fulfilled, how do we do it? Well, what I thought I'd do this morning is to pick out three characters that come in this chapter and three visual things to help you and help me to get a bit of a grip of it. So the first one I want to use is my identity badge. This is the badge I use uh, where around the site because I don't know who I am. Anyone got one of these at work? Yeah, you get them as, as some kind of identity badge. And the first one I want to look at is Paul because Paul shows us that a servant is absolutely clear on their identity. Absolutely clear on their identity. They know who they are. When I was researching for this, I came across this on the internet. So this, as a young man, my mom told me I could be anybody I wanted to be. Turns out the police call that identity theft. <laughs> but you know, Paul often introduced himself uh, using lots of words. You know, he, was, he could have said, I'm a Pharisee, which he does sometimes. Could have said, I'm a Jew, which he does sometimes. Could have said, I, I'm an apostle, which he does sometimes. But his favorite way of introducing his identity is this. I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Beautiful. And in Romans 1 verse 1, when he uses that word, he uses the word doulos 
which is a really important word because it actually doesn't mean servant, it means slave. I know that's hard for you and I to understand that and we still unfortunately, tragically, live in a world where slavery is a reality. But way back in Bible days, slavery was not, well it was, but, but, but it was part of the world in a way that obviously God didn't intend it to be as, as, it, as history trajected out. But back in the day, in the Old Testament, the whole idea of slavery was this and the whole idea of doulos, this word, was this. That when you were a slave, when your master set you free, you were free. But if you looked at your master and said, you know what? I don't want to be free. You are such a great master. I love you. I, I love serving you. What you would do is you'd go back and say, I know I can be free, but I choose not to be. Would you help me? I want to be your servant. I want to be your slave. That's literally what would happen. That's where this word doulos comes from. And what would happen is that actually then you would get, be taken to a door, okay, and you would have your ear pierced to the door as a sign that that's who you are. So don't ever say, okay, to your kids, you're not, there's no such things as piercings in the Bible because there is. All right, that's just ruin loads of your parents' lives there, okay, right there and then. But basically what would happen is that you would go and you'd have your ear pierced because you were making an outward statement that although you could go free, you were choosing not to. You wanted to be the servant or the slave of your master. That's the word that Paul uses when he says, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some of you might say, oh yeah, but didn't, didn't, doesn't Jesus say, I used to call you servants, now I call you friends in John 15? Yes, he does. But the reference there is more about in the ancient time, rulers would often have a group of servants around them that were like friends. They were their advisors. They were the guys that the king or the ruler would talk to last thing at night. And he would talk to them first thing in the morning. They get to hear his heart. They get to hear his dreams and they get to hear his plans. They were often referred to as the friends of the king. They were still servants. He was still the king, but they were the friends of the king. I think that's what Jesus is meaning. Because we've got to be careful in our modern understanding of, of, of relationship between us and God. If you're a Christian, you know, he is still always the king and we still are the servants. Am I right? But the relationship there is not about master-slave. It's about friends of the king. It's about servants of the king. It's about those who are let into the secrets, but who still are there to serve him and his will. I was brought up uh, Christian-wise in the Salvation Army. And I know I've said this many times before, but as I was brought up in the Salvation Army, we used to wear uniforms and sometimes what we call Model Cs, with dark coats and caps. And, and I always remember as a kid thinking, you know, we used to have these two uh, letters on our, on our lapels here, SS. And when you're wearing a dark navy kind of long, you know where I'm going here, don't you? I used to think as a kid, you know, Gestapo, whatever. But actually the SS in the Salvation Army doesn't mean that. It means saved to serve. Not saved by serving, but saved to serve. I don't belong to myself, I belong to him. And actually I think William Booth, when he started the Salvation Army, he caught hold of something really good there. Because when we pour out our life for others, that's when we are most fulfilled. Pouring out your life is what really fills you up. Second character we're going to look at, and I've got for, to illustrate, is the door handle. I'm going to look at Timothy, brilliant character, because I want to suggest to you that a servant is not only clear on their identity, but secondly, a servant is obsessed with putting other people first. Oscar Wilde, that great author and playwright, he once said, come over here and sit next to me. I'm dying to tell you all about myself. How many of you know people like that? Yeah. Please come and sit next to me. I want to tell you about me. You know, the smallest package in the world is a person wrapped up in himself. 
And actually going back to William Booth, towards the end of William Booth's life, when he, he, there was an international conference and all the Salvation Army leaders from all around the world were gathering together. But William Booth couldn't make it because of his illness. He was losing his sight and very elderly and frail. So he sent a telegram. And on the telegram, his message to all of the leaders worldwide of this incredible movement of God, his message was one word. And it just said this, others, others, pour out your life for others because you love God. Now, this is not to say that self-care isn't important because it is. It's not to say that boundaries aren't important because they are. But a servant who is clear on his, on his identity or her identity is clear that their focus is on others. And I think when you see Timothy, you see a man who lived like that. Look at this, Philippians 2.19. I hope in the Lord Jesus, says Paul, to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. Isn't that beautiful? I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. When you sit on the bench with Timothy, he wants to know about you. Can I just say as an aside, wouldn't it be an amazing world if we all live more like that? Just a thought. Wouldn't it be incredible if you went into your office tomorrow and asked somebody about them and as soon as they started speaking, didn't speak about you? Wouldn't that be radical? Wouldn't it be amazing if in church and in life group and in our community, we were far more interested in asking questions about other people to find out about them, that we had a genuine concern for others. Wouldn't that be incredible? I'll tell you what, if you were on the receiving end of that, you'd like it, wouldn't you? We'd all would. Here's the challenge. If we're all giving like that, we're all going to end up receiving that. But if we're all waiting for it to happen, we're going to wait a long time. Just a thought. For everyone, says Paul, looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I believe that Timothy was an open door kind of person. He loved to open the door so that others could go in. I don't know whether this is a British thing for those of you that are not British. I don't know whether this is an older thing for those of you that are not as old as me. Okay, But there used to be a thing, didn't there? Maybe there is, where if you were coming up to a door, you'd stop and you'd open the door. And what would you say to the other person? After you, yeah. Is that a British thing or an old person that's British? Thing? I don't know. But isn't that a beautiful thing to open the door and say, no, no, not me, but you. You go first. Wouldn't it be incredible to live like that? that we would be obsessed with putting other people first and where we can, we'd open a door for somebody else. Isn't that amazing? That's what it means to pour out your life for other people. You know, um, historians and scholars reckon that Paul asked lots of people to go to Philippi, but they all refused. Maybe they were too busy. You know, maybe they were just too focused on whatever. But Timothy said, I'll go. And then one of the, one of the, the writers that I read uh, many years ago, actually, he said of Timothy, you know, as I've studied Timothy's life, I've realized that Timothy was fat. And I had to look again. I thought, what? How did you get that out of the Bible? But it was an acronym. He says, actually, Timothy was faithful, available, and teachable. A little bit corny, maybe, but he was faithful, available, and teachable. And I thought, don't we need more fat people on this planet? Do I hear an amen in the house? Don't we need more fat people, faithful, available, teachable? Wouldn't that be incredible? People who want to open doors so that others could walk through to where they are meant to be going. That we just like a barge through the door ourselves, but we wait and we open doors for others. Timothy was like that. You see, you will never be fulfilled if life for you is all about you going through the door. Because pouring out your life is the only thing that really fills you up. So our identity is clear. 
We, we're there to uh, obsess about putting other people first. The third thing is going to freak some of you out because my first visual, third visual thing is, is dice. And I want to look at this little character who we don't know much about in the Bible, in Philippians 2, called Epaphroditus. Because Epaphroditus shows us that a servant is not only clear on his identity, not only obsessed with putting other people first, but a, but a servant is willing to take a risk. You know, many people want to serve God, but in an advisory capacity only. And I think that's a growing, growing thing in modern Christianity and church life. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, yeah, yeah, I'd love to help. I'd love to help. How can I consult? How can I advise? How can I tell you what to do? But I don't want to actually take any responsibility or to do anything. What I want to do is I want to serve, but in an advisory capacity. And then consultants are great and advisors are great. But there's more to being a servant than telling other people how to serve. And Epaphroditus was an incredible, incredible guy. Look at what it says in Philippians 2 verse 25. Paul says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now on to 29. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. He risked his life. Now, here's something amazing. That phrase, risked his life, in the original language, is a word. It's called parabolani. And this word parabolani is an amazing word, okay? Because what happened in the early church, it died out in the 4th or 5th century. But in the early church, for many, many years, they pulled this phrase out, parabolani. People who risked their life for the cause of Christ, to pour out their lives for others. And a whole group of people, Christian men and women, became known as the parabolani. They were known as the parabolani. And the word literally means to play the gambler, to risk everything on a roll of a dice. Now, please, because we're podcasting as well this morning, I am not telling you, go out and play the lottery, go to the casino. I'm not telling you that. That's not the point, okay? So just in case you think I am, I'm not. But do we live our lives in such a way that we say, do you know what? If I'm going to pour out my life for others, there's going to be a risk involved. I've got to throw the dice. I may get hurt. I may get rejected. I may get knocked back. But am I willing to do it for the sake of Christ and the sake of others? You know, nobody minds being a servant until they get treated like one. Then all of a sudden we get hurt and offended, don't we? But Epaphroditus, the Parabellani, and many, many hundreds of people, that they risked their lives to pour out their lives for others. Let me tell you a story. In AD 252, at the plague of Carthage, which was an ancient city, there were a whole group of people and they were in the city and they were dying through plague and through disease and through sickness. And they were pushed out of the city, outside the city gates. And Bishop Cyprian uh, called for the Parabellani. I mean, it sounds like something out of a Dan Brown novel, like the Illuminati, but it wasn't. There were real people. Look at it. On Wikipedia, it must be true. Uh, and, the and, and he called for the Parabellani and they came along and they moved out of their homes and out of their comfort and they went outside of the city to where the weak were, to where the sick were, to where the dying were, to where the marginalized were. And when they went out of the city, they risked their life and they poured out their life for the sake of others. Isn't that amazing? That's what it means to be a servant. To be really clear on your identity. To be obsessed with opening the door for other people and to be willing to risk it all at times. You know, Oswald Chambers, a great Christian writer, he said this, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas when you don't fear God, you fear everything else. And I think a servant is someone that's come to the point in their life when they fear God more than anything else. And when you fear God, you don't fear anything else. 
But when you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Amazing. From the Parabolani came characters like St. Francis of Assisi. If you went to modern day, I think someone like Mother Teresa would have been Parabolani. Pouring out your life is what really fills you up. We're drawing to a close. How do you respond to this? What do you, what do, you do with, with what I've said this morning? Well, there's two things I want you to think about this morning. Firstly, I want to encourage you to find a way to consistently serve here. It's an obvious thing for me to say, but find a way to consistently serve here, to pour out your life for others here. It would be remiss of me not to say right now a massive thank you to all of you who already do that. We are blown away at this church by the volunteers that we've got. I can't tell you how many times in meetings with elders and staff, we just sit there and we just say, do you know what? We've got some phenomenal people who pour out their life for the sake of others. You know, I came in this morning early and there was um, uh, one of our teenage girls who was helping down in youth today. In fact, she was leading it. Andy, our youth pastor, and his wife had just flown off on the holiday for two weeks. He's got a big 30th birthday in the next two weeks, so Andy's not here. So she's actually leading at Excel. And I looked at her and I said, you don't look well. And she could not speak. Like, she could not speak. She's so bonged up with cold and flu and everything. And I said, you need to go home. We'll find someone else. She said, no, no, I want to stay. She wanted to pour out her life for those kids every week. Amazing. We've got people that work with the elderly on a week basis. We've got, we've got people that work with our Friday night youth club where we get over 200 young people from the community that come. What a great gift to our community to, to, to give them a, a safe space for 200 teenagers every week. And loads and loads of you pour out your life week in, week out. You work with the kids. You come early on a Sunday morning or late on a Thursday night to practice and to set up and all of that. I just want to say you're an amazing bunch of people. And so many of you serve in the life of this church. And we are so grateful that you pour out your life for other people. That is amazing. Fantastic. But it may be that there are some of you here and you don't do that. Maybe you haven't found a way to do that. I want to invite you into the game. I want to ask you to think about pouring out your life for others because you love God. And you might say, I'm not even sure I love God. That's okay. Come join us anyway. Pouring out your life is what really fills you up whether you're a Christian or not. You know, we've got loads of opportunities at the moment. You know, many people come to this church and they think, you know, everything's fine, everything's sorted and, and people do a great job, but you don't know the other side of it. And uh, let me just give you a couple of little windows in. One of the things that we're developing at the moment is what we call our guest experience team. I know it sounds very American uh, and it is, uh, but it really is, a, is an umbrella term for just how we help connect with new people on a Sunday. So that covers the car parking team, the hosting team, the connecting team, the people that set up communion when we have communion. And there are loads of people who do a great job with that. But you know, if we could find 25 more people, we could go on an incredible growth spurt. We really believe that's the kind of numbers that we need. You know, in our youth, again, loads of people, 15 more people would massively help what we're doing in youth. And kids work. 25 more people would incredibly help our kids work. On the tech team, 10 more people would massively impact what we're able to do in communicating the message out there, not just here, but out on the, on the airwaves, as it were, you know, through the internet and all of that lot. So what do you do? Well, what we encourage you to do after this morning, after we've finished, is go to the connection point and just register your interest. Just say, hey, I could probably do one of those things. I'd like to at least find out a little bit more about it. And we ask you to sign up. In fact, tonight at six o'clock here, there is a meeting for anyone on the guest experience team, car parking, hosting, connecting, or anyone interested, you can come here, receive some training, and that would be amazing. So that's one thing you could do. You could find a place to consistently serve and to pour out your life here. But secondly, choose to pour out your life out there. 
Choose to serve out there, wherever you find yourself, in the workplace, in your home, in your street, in your community. I want to commend those of you in this church who do that on a regular basis. Some of you are involved in local politics. That's not an easy place to be a Christian. And you're involved there. I want to commend you for that. You serve there voluntarily in that difficult world to try and make the world a better place. Some of you help in schools and you're helping uh, as school governors or as teaching assistants. Some of you helping homes for the elderly. Some of you help in charities. Some of you, you do that. I want to encourage you, find a way to do that out there and to step into that as well. You know, I'm incredibly inspired when I hear stories about volunteers that do that. And there's a story this week. And she, she'll, she'll go mad, if, if, so I won't say who it is, but somebody who serves here in the church, in, in the office and food bank, again, loads of people that serve in food bank, week in, week out, helping people in our community. And this lady that uh, was, was serving in the office noticed the lady come into food bank and just really felt stirred and prompted to walk over and to have a conversation with her. And as she did that, this lady broke down in tears and then she got to hear her story and got to help her. And that was because she stepped in. She entered into that that serving, that just a little moment of serving and something can open up. Amazing. Pouring out your life is what really fills you up. You know, in Israel, there are two seas. There's the Sea of Galilee and there's the Dead Sea. And you all know this, I'm sure. The Sea of Galilee is an amazing sea. I've been there. It's incredible. And it's incredibly rich and alive and vibrant because water comes in and water goes out. That's how seas are meant to be. But when you go to the Dead Sea, it's a whole different story full of salt, it's dying, it's decaying, it's shrinking because water goes in but water doesn't go out. It's a great natural illustration of how you and I are designed to be. When water goes in and water goes out, we're alive, we're fulfilled. When water goes in and it doesn't go out, we're dying and we're shrinking and we're getting smaller. And even though they're pumping water from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, it is still shrinking to this day. And if we don't find a way of pouring out our life, then what happens is that our life shrinks and we get smaller and smaller and less and less fulfilled because we are designed by the giver of life to give our life away. So I want to invite you. Don't be a dead sea. Be the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to invite the band back this morning. And I'd finished this message yesterday or before yesterday and came to look at it yesterday. And as I was looking over it, that's where I'd stopped. And then I, I really felt God speak to me to say, there's a little bit more that you need to say this morning. And it's around these couple of areas. I felt God say to me that there will be some people here and you'll have listened to what I've said and you'll resonate with it. And you'll say, yeah, I want to pour out my life. But you'll say this, but I have nothing to give. I have got nothing to pour out because I feel so empty myself. And then I believe that God took me to that story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story maybe from Sunday school days. That man that... When that, when that man needed help and others walked past him, he didn't walk past him, but he stopped and he bandaged him and he put him on his horse. Then he took him to an inn and he gave him to the innkeeper and he said this, he says, when I return, I will reimburse you. And it was almost like God said, there are many people and you're here today and you've poured out yourself for others, but you're now in deficit. You're now in deficit emotionally. It's like you've gone into the red and Jesus says, but when I come, when I come, I'll bring you back into credit. I'll take you from the red to the black. And I felt that God said that there were some of you here today and that you have poured yourself out for others. Maybe you've been a carer or you are a carer. Maybe you've been pouring yourself out so much for other people that you now feel that you're totally dry and you're in deficit. And Jesus says, if you'll allow him to, I want to come back and I want to come into your life again. And I want to bring you from credit into, from, from deficit into credit. I want to take you from the red to the black. When I return, I will reimburse you. 
Secondly, I felt God say to me that there will be, uh, it took me to the story in Acts chapter 14 where the apostle Paul was in the city and he was beaten up and he was thrown outside the city. He was beaten up and he was lying on the floor. He couldn't pour out of his life for anyone because he was beaten up. And the Bible says that the disciples gathered round him. And, it, and I looked in tra- different translations. It just says they gathered round him and it doesn't say what they did. But I think we know what they did. I think they prayed for him. And as they gathered around him and prayed for him, then the Bible says he got up and he went back into the city. And I felt God say that there were some of you here this morning and you've been so beaten up by life that you're lying down and you can't even think about pouring out your life for others. And I believe God said, then let some other people gather around you because it's time. It's time to gather around you, to pour into you so that you can get up and go back into the city. Let's pray. So this morning, folks, we want to pray for some of you. Especially for those of you that feel that you're in, in deficit right now. You're in the red. You've just poured out your life and maybe for, um, for others. And you desperately need God to pour back into you. Maybe those of you that feel beaten up. Life has beaten you up. And you, all you can do is to say, would someone gather around me? And pray and pour into me. And as people pour into you and as God joins that process and he pours his spirit into you, that you would get up again and go back into the city. So if that's you this morning, I know it's going to be a brave step for you. I want to invite you just to stand for a moment so we can gather around you and pray for you. Jesus. Let's wait another one minute anymore. It's just those of you that sat down, it'd be great if you open your eyes for a moment and just look to who's standing around you. You don't need to know this. This is what makes the church amazing. You don't need to know the people to gather around them. So would you do that just for a moment? If you sat down, just gather around those people and just let's begin to pray. Let's just begin to pray. Lord Jesus, God, we want to pray for these folks, God, who've been brave. It's really hard to make a decision to stand, to respond, to step to stand up when, when you feel empty or when you feel beaten up. But God, right now, we want to ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come really close into these people's lives? Would you fill their lives with your presence? Those who've poured out for others, God, would you replenish? Would you reimburse? Would you reinstate? Would you fill up their tank, we pray? For those who feel they have nothing left to give, would you fill up their tank in Jesus' name? And Lord, for those who have been beaten up, and I sense for some of you, maybe a work situation that's so knocked you about, every day you get up, it's like an effort to get up and to go in. God, would you bring strength, I pray. Would you bring strength? Strength that no words can bring. Strength that no strategies and ideas and books can bring. Only supernatural intervention of God. So God, would you bring that strength in Jesus' name. Begin to pray. Stir them up, fill them up. Lord God, Jesus. God, I want to pray for anyone who's standing right now. And I just sense this, it's kind of this phrase that it's a hopeless, dead-end situation. I felt that God wanted to say, nothing is hopeless and dead-end with me. The God who moves stones, the God who moved the stone out of an over, across a tomb, is the God who can change your situation, who can step into that hopeless, what you feel, dead-end situation. God, would you move, we pray. Would you move, we pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand together and 
sing this beautiful little song just as a way of all of us responding to God this morning and say, hey, well, we want to pour out our lives for you. We want to pour out our lives for you. We want to pour out our lives for others because you are worthy.